Don't call it a comb back, I'll have hair for years. Wake up in the morning feeling like P. Diddy. Hey, what up, girl? my glasses, I'm out the door. I'm gonna hit this city. Let's Before go. I leave, brush my teeth with a bottle of Jack. Cause when I leave for the night, I ain't coming back. I'm talking. Live from the Finley Toyota ESPN Las Vegas Studios. Are the Raiders the worst team in the NFL at handling the virus? By far. It's. <laughs> It's amazing that they haven't had someone contract the virus during the season. This is the Press Box. Here's my question about that whole thing, and and, and thankfully for everybody involved, just for for basic human decency and health, nobody's tested positive, quote-unquote, you know, dot, 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 yet from that. But I also wonder how many of the maskless people that were at this event. And Grainy. You Every said day. it and Paul said it. I swear one of the biggest updates is as bad as the Raiders have been, there's no player positive. Right. I mean, that's like astonishing. It is kind of incredible. And Adam Candy. Here we go on a Tuesday. It's been 1100, 100.9 FM. Ed Grady, Adam Candy's in for Tyler. Jared, as usual, running the show. Oh, big Raiders news to start us off, Jared. The first bite. Can Yannick Ngakwe save the Raiders? Oh man, Adam Candy! What 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 Twitter what Twitter uh, uh, fireworks yesterday when this came across the two two years twenty six million? Here's your edge rusher. What was your first reaction? Falling off the chair, getting on Twitter. What did you think when you found out you're gonna, they're going to sign Yannick Ngakwe? I actually was very well planted in my chair because I kind of had my head tilted to the side like a dog listening to you, thinking to myself, okay, this is reasonable. Like, this is not the free agency signings that I'm used to seeing from the Raiders. Like, they looked at a position of need. They found a guy who fits that need. They did it at a reasonable term for a reasonable price. Yeah. All those things seem to work. Now, the guy has limitations, obviously, but at the same time, like in terms of when we look at what John Gruden and Mike Mayock do, this seems perfectly reasonable to me, Ed. Yeah, uh, 95 total pressures in the last two seasons uh, on 964 pass rushing snaps. It says, chose only Aaron Donald and pressures since entering the league in 2016. I think anytime you're mentioned in the same sentence as him, uh, you must be doing something right. I found it interesting. I want to talk about this. What Pro Football uh, Focus broke him down. Said Ngakwe has the eighth best pass rush since 2017 when rushing from wide alignments, but he grades out at 68.3 from all other defensive alignments. I think the point there is for him to be as good as everyone says he is and as good as his numbers is, they better really good be good in the interior. I don't know if yet we can say they are. So does that give you any kind of pause in terms of, you know, how good he can really be for them if the guys inside don't get better. So if you're going to evaluate Ngakwe, I think you end up going back two years in the draft and saying you drafted, in theory, an edge rusher at four in Cleveland Furl, right? Mm-hmm. And I think if you're going to maximize what this team is, you're going to finally have to admit what we were saying at the time, which is that Cleveland Furl is a nice inside piece. He is not an outside piece. And now you're going to look at it and say that in your pass rushing alignments, when you feel like you've got a down, when you've got to get to the quarterback, Cleef Earl is going to spend a lot of time inside. And in the end, that's probably going to be a fine thing for the Raiders if you've got Crosby and Ngakwe on the ends and Furl in the middle, uh, you know, with Malik Collins or whoever else. 
But I think the key for the Raiders here is you then look at that number four pick and say, you spent it on a guy who's going to end up as an interior lineman, and that probably wasn't the best use of your uh, uh, draft capital. But at the same time, you do what you do now, which is to say, okay, the reality is this guy's not going to be our pass rusher. Let's put him inside where he does what he does best, which is stop the run, because Yannick Ngakwe, for all that he does well, is an absolutely abysmal run stopper, and that's been something that has been clear across his career. Uh, Raiders just 21 sacks in 147 pressures last season. So, again, like you said, off the top, just looking at his career numbers, he's he's going to help. Do you think, and, and, and Tyler's talked about this often, I agree with them in terms of what they needed, is this enough of an upgrade over Crosby that now they don't have to look at getting an edge guy in the first round, that maybe they feel they're settled, they have Key, they have this guy, they have Crosby. Do you think it's enough of an upgrade to where they don't have to overly worry about it in the draft. Overly worry about it. Yeah, I think you're onto something there, Ed, right? Like, I don't think you go reach for the position. I think it puts you in a better spot to say, let's draft best player available as opposed to right. drafting best edge available. Now, is it enough of an upgrade for this team to say the pass for us is, is fixed? No, not at all. And I think part of the reason is you have to look at Yannick Ngakwe's history from Jacksonville in terms of who he was playing with. So Yannick Ngakwe was never a guy who was going to do the job all by himself as your number one edge rusher. When he had his most success, 2017, 2018 especially, here's the players that he had with him on the Jacksonville defense. Calais Campbell, okay, right there, would be the best edge rusher on most any team in 2017-18. Marcel Darius, who turned out to be an outstanding player uh, and has now gone and done the same in Buffalo. Miles Jack. And now, here's the other part that really matters, Ed. Jalen Ramsey, A.J. Bouye, and Tayshawn Gibson at safety. Like, as part of a well-rounded, talented defense, Yannick Ngakwe can be a very effective player. That ain't the Raiders right now. Right, right. Yeah, the only clo- the only thing they have in common with them that team, I think, is Gus Bradley, and he probably <laughs> went in the yes. He went in the uh, uh, lab there and came out and said, "We need a ton of stuff." Let me ask you this: How much stock do you put in? And look, it, your secondary is always helped by those up front. Um, now the Raiders aren't close to that secondary you just mentioned, not even in the same stratosphere, but they've suffered on the back end a lot uh, at every position. Um, and I'm sure they're going to have to. We'll see. I mean, today there's still guys out there. So we're going to see what they do before, you know, the league officially opens. They can start announcing these things tomorrow. So that's not to say they're going to not get, you know, names won't surface today in terms of secondary help. But the better you are up front, obviously, essentially, the better you're on the back end. How much will this help, do you think? Because they still need a lot of help back there. But this seems to be at least starting them in the right direction to where they can get some help up front and it won't be a complete disaster on the back end. I agree with you. Look, it's been proven over and over again that your pass rush can help your coverage. Now, the trick to it is that it works a little bit better in the reverse of that. Really good coverage will help lesser edge rushers or lesser rushers, period, get the job done up front more so than the pass rush will help that coverage because you see guys like Mahomes who can extend a play and really everything the Raiders do has to be targeted at how do we get Patrick Mahomes. And so if you look at a guy like Mahomes who can extend a play, then your coverage still has to be good. And so even the best pass rusher who can hurry a play 
can't make up for the fact that a guy in coverage is getting torched. So I look at it with the Raiders, and here we are with the Raiders' pass rush grades the past few years, 32nd, 23rd, 27th. And yeah, Yeah. Yannick Ngakwe will help that absolutely. Um, I do think when you look at the Raiders, though, you talked about the early part of free agency. And, you know, you look at a guy like John Johnson going to the Browns, and I know that was a target for the Raiders to upgrade at safety. Um, That's definitely – I don't know about you, Ed, but I have to feel like the next place I'm looking for them is going to either be on the interior of the offensive line or at safety because those seem to me to be some glaring needs for them. Uh, I didn't – I mean, I thought the term two two years, 26 million was fine. Uh, We haven't seen the complete breakdown on guaranteed, at least maybe you've seen that. I have not seen that uh, just yet. So I definitely didn't think that was outrageous for someone who they desperately needed at that position. We're going to talk a little bit about Nelson Aguilar. He got pretty much got the same from the Patriots to leave. Um, you okay with two years, 26 for him? Oh, absolutely. And the guarantee from what I saw, it's $11 million guaranteed and some fairly reachable incentives uh, to push okay, it up. Okay, then to that's, th- that's pretty good. 13. Yeah, yeah. It brings up this question, though, Ed, and we saw – Trey Hendrickson go out there and get four years, right? We saw Mm -hmm. Leonard Floyd get four years, Hendrickson to the Bengals and Floyd to the Rams. We saw Carl Lawson go get three years from the Jets. All those guys are a little bit older. All those guys have similar production or in some cases worse than Yannick Ngakwe. So my only question back to you, and I guess it would be a question for the Raiders brass as well, is why did this guy come on such a good term, right? I mean, sometimes you don't look a gift horse in the mouth and you say maybe he just wants to see right, where the cap right. resets in a couple of years and wanting to take a short-term deal and kind of bet on himself to go back out there at 28. I just feel like for a guy who is now going to be on his fourth team in the span of 12 months, right, did most of his career in Jacksonville, right. traded to Minnesota, then traded to Baltimore midseason, you do at least have to reasonably ask the question – why was this guy available if pass rush is at such a premium, especially when he was in Baltimore? Yeah, and that's a good point. You know, we've talked about others around the league, Dak, and others who bet on themselves. It doesn't appear, given his numbers, like we, we've already talked about how you know he's not great against the run, but pressure-wise, uh, like I said, uh, when you trail Aaron Donald and pressures since entering the league, you've done something right in that sense. Whether he's betting himself or not, it just doesn't seem like he had to. You know, we're seeing other Russians go off the board for a lot of money. But you're right. I, if it's only 11 guaranteed, that's interesting because I don't know if he had to do that. I mean, some guys have to bet on themselves. Some guys like Nelson Aguilar cash in because he bet on himself, as did Dak. But that is a really good point in that. And we'll have to look, we'll have to see what he says when the signing's uh, official. We'll have to see everything about the contract. And, you know, obviously Gruden and Mayak will talk on it. Uh, I don't know if it's just because they liked Vegas and the tax. I mean, there's a lot of things the guy could have, you know, had a reason to come here. We don't know yet. But $11 million guaranteed really seems slight for someone who uh, it plays a premium position, has proven himself that he can get to the quarterback, and yet he ends up here for that kind of cash. I mean, good for the Raiders, like I said. I mean, great for them. Uh, he has been on three teams in the last few years, got traded last year, goes from Jacksonville to Minnesota, then to Baltimore, I think, total of nine, ten games. Uh, I don't know if there's something there about it, but you're exactly right. $11 million, if that's what it is guaranteed, I'm, if he's anything like he's been, I think it's kind of a steal. 
Yeah, first uh, first year eleven million guaranteed, I believe. Um, okay, so okay. you know that's uh, that's still that's pretty good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, and when you look at, I'm you know what Ed, I'm less concerned about the what the actual amount of cap space used is than the term, because mm-hmm. you know if they're only guaranteeing him that over a short period of time, I think that's great because with this Raiders defense, you don't know that anything you do right now is going to fix things, right? And that's what we learned last offseason with Corey Littleton and Nick Kwiatkowski coming in both on longer-term deals at linebacker is that free agency is not a cure-all. You have to take shots and see how they work out. And two years gives you the option to say, okay, you know what? It worked, and so now we're going to have to look at it and say, do we pay the guy? And if we have to pay the guy, then you have to say to John Gruden, well, you weren't willing to pay Khalil Mack, so are you willing yes. to pay this guy now since it works? And if it doesn't work, then you're not committed for that much. Yeah. Uh, great example there. Listen, when we come back at 9 o'clock, we'll do the remix. Nelson Aguilar is gone. It appears Kyle Long's going to have himself a workout here in Vegas. Devontae Booker's moved on. We'll tell you what else has happened around free agency. A lot of big signings yesterday. We'll get all to it at the remix at 9 o'clock. But when we come back... Ah, VGK. They played the Sharks. Of course they won. Back after this. On the draw against Marsha, so they get it out, and here comes a breakaway. Flurry made a diving play to knock it off the stick of Cade, and no shot on goal. Vegas clears the zone. Oh, the poke check. Waited for one of those forever. Thought he was playing deeper in the crease, so it was a pretty aggressive move. Don't want to tell the agent, Alan Walsh, to lose his mind. Clown show there. Back at it, it said Granny, Adam, Candy, and Jared just talked. We'll get back to the Raiders at 9 o'clock and all the moves by other teams. They continue to happen. Belichick must have a uh, cap of $700 million. He's signing everyone in sight. But first, what a shock they were able to beat one of the worst teams. It happens all the time with the top teams in and, and that Honda division, Adam, Candy, 2-1. Sharks, Sharks came to play, though. What would you think? A little hop in the step there? I think they're tired of losing to these guys every time. You know, there's talent on that San Jose team. There really is. There's just a wild amount of underperformance going on with them, especially when it comes to their defense core and guys like Eric Carlson. So in a way, Ed, it's good because the Golden Knights get tested so infrequently in this division that I'm glad to see the Sharks show up and actually play a reasonable game against them. Because the Golden Knights, when you look at their remaining strength of schedule, and mind you, it already feels like they have only played Cakewalk and Cream Puff all the way through here. They have the 24th highest remaining strength of schedule, meaning that they have the 6th easiest schedule in the league the rest of the way. I want to see them tested a little bit more like they were last night. Oh, absolutely. I I was, I got to be honest, I was a little surprised uh, the Sharks... Uh... Again, there's got to be pride at some level. They do have good. They do have some good players, and it's been so long since they beat the Knights. I mean, early on that first period, they dominated, and second period, the Knights said, "Okay, enough of this," and they 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 took over in the second period. But yeah, I thought you know they they need more of this. You can only play the Minnesotas, Colorados, uh, you know, somewhat St. Louis. What we saw in St. Louis, I'm not so sure there in terms of the matchup. But Knights looked really good against the Blues the, the last two games. But they've got to get some of these because. Guess what? When you get to, you know, whether it's the Honda Division playoffs and, you know, ultimately if they can advance to that four, you're going to see really good teams. Um, want to ask you about this. Uh, this. This is interesting. Dave Shane tweeted this. I knew they were having a good uh, month. Um, I didn't know it was this good. NHL's leading scores in the month of March. Number one, Mark Stone. Number two, Pat Chiretti. That is uh, Barkov's three, McDavid, Dreisel. I mean, you're getting uh, Malkin. You're getting some big-time names after that. 
Talk to me about your thoughts on these two and how good they are right now. And, and last night they needed their best players, Stone, Patrick, Flurry, to win. Um, but man, these guys, Stone, six game winning goal in twenty six games. They are really, really clicking. I find it hilarious, Ed, to think about when Mark Stone first arrived here a year and a half ago, almost two years ago at this point, actually, and we had the whole discussion over these guys hated each other when they were in Ottawa and Montreal, right? How right. They, they were rivals right. and they were yes. dropping the gloves and this and that and was it going to work? And they talked openly about the fact that they did not like each other. And now you look at the two of them and you say, <laughs> it's the best pair the Golden Knights have going. Like, yes. it really is impressive to see the talent of these two work together. And they complement each other so well because Stone is the guy who wants to make the perfect pass, make the right play. And Pacioretty a sniper. And putting him into more of that position has ended up being a great thing for the Golden Knights. The other thing that jumps out at me <laughs> is that you could basically put Tyler or Jared at center on that line. And they would still be scoring oh, because last night you're welcome. Uh, <laughs> I would pick, I would night, pick Jared, but go ahead. <laughs> I, I would too. I think he'd be a little more physical. Yes. So yes, <laughs> um, I would say that that last night really showed why because no Chandler Stevenson for the Golden Knights right. last night. Right? They move Cody Glass up there. He makes it over from the dealership in time to be center on the sure. line last night, and then the Golden Knights go out there and grind it out. It's it's impressive. It really is. And it's interesting, Cody Glass, and you're right. I mean, they healthy scratch him, and we talked about it yesterday, and what's wrong with Cody Glass, and, you know, he, he's, he's got issues, and, you know, he's just not five on five. He's not doing anything. He's really only doing things on the power play. And to your point, it's, I mean, nothing against Cody Glass, but it does tell you healthy scratch to centering that line just get them. Just get the other guys. Just get stone the puck and kind of skate out of the way. I mean, that line is so good right now with those two. Cody Glass, you know, he was fine last night. I mean, the other two did did most of the damage. But you're right. I don't know at this point that they're so good that it matters who centers that line. I, it's honestly, it, it's there's Gladys Knight times two and one pip. Right, that's yes. essentially what we end Who up. Who is with the pip? Here. Jared is the pip. Yes. Jared, Jared would. Jared be the is pip. the pip. Jared would Absolutely. be the pip in that situation. I want to see him, by I the way. Did in a, take movement in college. <laughs> I assume that means a class, but yeah, I hope that's the, a class. The, the statement of "I took movement in college" could just go so many different ways. But anyway, um, I like the idea of Jared having to wear the pip outfit that Charles Barkley gives yes. to uh, Samuel L. and Spike Lee on the commercial with uh, with Gladys Knight. Wouldn't that be awesome? Um, well, if we ever see him in person again, we might get him one of those, but I don't know if yeah. the latter will ever happen. It's uh, it's it's possible, but yeah. You know, and look, if we're going to talk about who the real Gladys Knight is for the uh, for the team and who the real pips are, it's obviously Mark Andre Fleury. Right? Yeah, I mean, you mentioned the poke check, but that first period, the San Jose Sharks had seven high danger chances yep. to two for the Vegas Golden Knights, and yet the Vegas Golden Knights come out of the period with the lead. And that's what really starts to concern me a little bit about about the Golden Knights. Once they start seeing the Wild, the Avalanche, the Blues more, is that they're giving up chances. And Marc-Andre Fleury is bailing them out of that. And it's great. It's a high-end case for Marc-Andre Fleury. But how long can the Golden Knights expect him to do that? Yeah. 
Well, and we we heard yesterday, we saw yesterday, Robin Leonard is back at practice. Peak divorce says he'll work out at practice this week. Uh, I Was the word reintegrate or reintroduce? Reintegrate. Was, He's reintegrating. Reintegrate, reintegrating into the system. Yes. Uh, Flurry last night starts his 16th start in 17 games. Now, other than the back-to-back at St. Louis, I'm pretty sure he's gotten one day in between at least. But the question, I think, was posed to Pete DeBoer yesterday. Is this too much? Pete DeBoer said, look, we're only a quarter of the way through. This isn't like we're at game 45. But let me ask you this. Is this too much? I mean, if it's going to take a week to, again, reintegrate, and whatever that means to get Leonard back ready to play, are you surprised, especially against these kind of teams, that we're not seeing someone else in goal just to give him a damn? Or do you think it's okay at this point? So I think you have to look at your history here, Ed, right? And you know it well that we were having this discussion two years ago, right? Yes, exactly. This was everything that was in our mouths coming down the stretch because Malcolm Subban was only a rumor and they weren't letting him anywhere near the ice. And Marc-Andre Fleury was out there saying, no, I need the workload. I'm good. Like, I'm I'm good. And it was largely true. Um, He did not look completely himself in the playoffs that year. But then you come back to this past year and you have Marc-Andre Fleury both physically and emotionally struggling through the year. We're seeing that he has recovered from that. The question that I have to ask here is, though, you did not sign Robin Leonard five years, five million dollars to play once every four games. Right. Oh, no. And and, uh, McPhee said a couple – well, it was a week or two ago on a podcast – and people said they were surprised, but I was surprised, and I don't think you were, when he said, when he gets back, I'd like to see the rotation again. And I, I, I don't know about you, but when he says that, like, I don't think anything other than that will happen. I think once he reintegrates and is ready to go, I think we both, I don't know how you feel, but I think it'll just be the rotation again. I, I, at least for the regular season, I think they'll just get back to what they were doing. Golden Knights fans, listen closely, because I know you don't want to hear this. Marc-Andre Fleury can't play like this all year long. No No, goalie can play like this all year long. He is on another plane right now. And if you look at the spectrum of outcomes that you can get from any particular goaltender, then yeah, we are at the high end of that right now. But like you said, Ed, it's over the course of 17 games. You you can't ask him to do that over the course of a full season. So that's why Robin Leonard should be in that rotation. And that would be hopefully what would make the Golden Knights dominant night in and night out. Thankfully, Fleury did all that work with Dave Pryor in the offseason. Well, absolutely. Come on, Alan Walsh. Clown show there. When we come back, by the way, we're going to get to Ben S. Goats. Ben goes from Review Journal. We'll continue this at 8.30. He'll have your VGK update. But when we come back, it's about that time. Fantasy baseball. Who else to talk to than Jeff Erickson? And a stickman may hit if he make a miss of three times and out. But if four times the, the throw is bad, boom, then he may walk to a pillow. Or if he make a hit of ball and it go to the side of the paints, then it is a more more hits and hits and hits. But if he hit a ball very far, then he may run on all the pillows around the pillows. And sometimes someone is stealing the pillows. Ah, uh, has there ever been a better description of baseball? I don't think so. But. It's that time of the year again, fantasy baseball. There's no one else we want to talk to than Jeff Erickson. Follow him on Twitter at Jeff Erickson, rotowire.com, rotowire senior editor for all your fantasy information. Jeff, how are you? I'm doing quite well. Good to talk to you guys. It's been a while. Yeah, 
that guy describing the ball, the baseball. I'm sure you want him in your league. That's the kind of guy you want in the league. Uh, so I, I know it's a great time of the year for you guys at Rotowire with the fantasy baseball. I know you've done some drafts. I want to get uh, right into some questions here with Adam and and yourself. So we know what happened last year with the small sample size and the sixty games and kind of the craziness of that league and how condensed it was. You've already done some drafts. What have you seen, if anything, from people on how they kind of deal with last year's stats? Do they use them at all? Um, how do you prepare and what do you do with 2020? Did you think of it all or did you go more career-wise because of last year being so bizarre? Well, I, I think it's funny. I think it's wide open this year. I think there are like five or six different players that could be drafted first overall. I think some mm-hmm. people are treating pitching differently than others. There, there's First of all, it's a short sample, only 60 games. Secondly, there's talk about changing the ball. We have no yeah. DH in the NL again, like unlike we had last year. Uh, hopefully, we'll get that back for the next CBA. But you know, for this year, we have to go back to having you know valuing NL pitchers higher than AL pitchers. Uh, there are just so many different things about this season. We don't have the geographical schedule, and so you know, for instance, every pitcher that pitched in the Central Division had an easier uh, path to follow. You look at like Kenta Maeda as a perfect example of that. He had a .75 whip last year. You know, his next best was like 105 or 107. Uh, it, it was far easier. We saw all those Central Division teams, both AL and NL, get to the playoffs where they got smoked, uh, and it was pretty clear that those those lineups were easy to get easier to get through. Uh, we had two different balls last year. We had a lively ball from 2019, and then we had the, a new ball that they're going to use this year that was less lively. So. You know, all around, there's some wild variant results, and I think that's leading to a lot of different strategies. Jeff, I'm curious when it comes to who are you seeing overvalued, who are you seeing undervalued in terms of ADP when it comes to using last year's stats in particular? Uh, well, like those those AL Central pitchers and NL Central pitchers is over are overvalued, I would say for sure. I'd say there's a lot of guys that you know were hampered by COVID that we always say, oh, yeah, they were hampered, they should bounce back. But then we downgrade them five rounds. Austin Meadows, <laughs> Yon Moncada are two good examples of that. Uh, you know, you also see, uh, you know, uh, I think I think there's another buying opportunity just for guys that had slumps. Guys like A, a guy like Labor Torres is going two or three rounds later than he usually does, does just because he, had, he kind of slumped last year. And I, I think there's a prime buying opportunity for what we like to call last year's bumps. Guys that you know had a tough year. It's usually a good prying opportunity, anyhow. I think it's ex- it's magnified this year because we're going off with someone that could have two bad months. Christian Yelich was probably drop like going twelfth or thirteenth early on uh, in draft season. He's since going up to about seven or eight. But this is the guy who was a top three player last year. Uh, and you know what were was were his struggles something that's enduring or just a couple months long? I think it's more the latter. Do you, what are you seeing? And these guys probably middle late rounds. I'm not sure about that, but we did have some names opt out: Price, Kane, Posey, people like that. I think Desmond has for 2021. Has that hurt yep. their stock? Uh, uh, or or people saying again, I, I think this guy will bounce back, and I'm not going to hold opting out against them when I draft. I think it's uh, tough. I think you go player by player. In the case of David Price, he's being discounted a little bit now because the Dodgers have seven starters. And they, they've already said that Price might not always starting, may not be ready for the, the beginning of the season. They might, you know, Tony Gonsolin, Dustin May, I think they've proven that they can pitch in this in this league as well. And so seeing, you know, you know, 
you know, the possibility of him throwing fewer innings is discounting a stop a little bit. Stroman seems to be the guy that Marcus Stroman on the Mets seems to be the guy that is least being uh, being discounted uh, because of his year off. Uh, but you know, Lorenzo King's already hurt again. Uh, right. You know, that that's also something that's kind of scary. And they signed Jackie Bradley Jr. So you know, you go case by case, and it's kind of tough. But I, I think overall, missing a full season tends to hurt a player rather than help. I think the exception would be is if a player was trying to get over injuries and he got a full year to get healthy. I think that would help him a little bit more. Jeff, one player that I know this show in particular was frustrated with last year because you have both uh, both a Yankees fan and an Astros fan. Not Ed. Ed's, Ed's, Ed's all oh, happy with on. his Dodgers. Come on, come but on. Tyler and I, as <laughs> Yankee and, and uh, Astros fans, were both frustrated by uh, Randy Rosarena last year. And I'm, I'm curious what uh, what, to, what you make of Rosarena's postseason versus the pedigree that we knew he had coming over from St. Louis to Tampa Bay and how he's being looked at this year. Well, he's especially difficult because, remember, he didn't get called up until September. Uh, and so you don't even have 60 games with him. You have about 30-plus the playoffs. And it really raises a good question. How much do you value postseason stats? And I think sometimes we blow that off, but I would think that only would augur well for him because he's facing tougher pitching in the playoffs than he would in the regular season. There's no Orioles or Blue Jays pitching staff he, he gets to feast off of. No, he gets to, he had to face against, you know the Astros who their strength was run suppression last year and he, he torched them. Uh, you know the, the Yankees maybe are a little bit easier of a pitching staff, believe it or not. But um, I'm seeing him go in the, about the fourth round. Uh, you know and he's a power speed guy. Now he also strikes out a ton. I think there's a, a touch of being him over being rated, overrated a little bit because of that. I think he's going to hurt your batting average this year. But we do, like you alluded, there's definitely a, a pedigree to him too. Uh, just he's been given you know, playing top opportunities and fits and starts throughout his career. And then with the Cardinals, uh, he kind of got buried a little bit. He thought he was, they kind of thought he was a loose cannon, and they didn't like that around you know, with him. Schilt was not exactly his his backer, and so. I think it'll be interesting to see a full season with him. But, uh, you know, I think it's kind of like, if you guys remember uh, K-Rod, uh, how he basically exploded in the playoffs for the Angels here. They, they won the World Series. And he, that, that's the start of a great career. That could be the case here for the Rosarena, too. Jeff, um, are we? is there any player to lock up stolen bases, or am I going to have to do the thing I do every year where I just try to stream a utility outfielder? You know, I, it's funny. Uh, uh, there's a couple of projection systems out there, Steamer, the Bat, and, you know, those are public available. You can check them out on, uh, you know, on, on like hand graphs. You can look at my projections if you want, but most places you go suggest that the top stolen base guys, like 14 of the top 20, are all going in the first four rounds. So you either get stolen bases early from guys that can actually hit, or you take a lot of chances late and you stream like you uh, suggested there. You know, I think one of the big hot-button guys is Adalberto Mondesi. Uh, do you spend a second-round pick on him or not? Because that's what's costing to get him. Uh, if you do, then you've got a head start on the competition with stolen bases. He could get you 70 on his own. Or he could, you know, he could be batting ninth and sent to the, you know, and, and you know, not get only 20 to 30 just because he's not getting on base. You know, he's got such a poor walk rate that that really hurts him a little bit, especially – you know, Bobby Witt Jr. is being a bit is a big buzzy guy right now in camp, and maybe Witt plays more second than short. But Mondesi slumps at all, and he did slump for a month last year. Then, you know, he could he could lose some playing time to Witt at shortstop too. Uh, so I tend to be like you and go the latter route. I, you know, especially if there's not an overall contest. 
Like, I play in the NFBC, which you know, has some live drafts in Vegas in two weeks. But uh, if you play in that contest, you need to compete in every category. But if you're in a standalone league, you can kick, the, kick that can down the road. Don't be as competitive in one cat category and you know, return value in every other category a little bit higher there. And that's it's a good way to kind of, keep going. You can always trade for stolen bases. You always can stream them from the waiver wire. You can still get four or five, six points in that category if you want. And if you're in a head-to-head league, a head-to-head points league, it doesn't even matter where you get your production from. That's another way just to avoid the category altogether because a lot of those stolen base guys are really unreliable. I mean, every year we see a guy go from, like Billy Hamilton, go from 15 oh, to 60 God. stolen bases to losing his job. Right. Uh, two questions here for two specific players. Um, and gotta, I like Adam. i got to follow up with one of my guys. But first, have you seen anything in terms of drafting Nolan Arenado, how he's going to hold up outside Coors Field? And the second one, Bellinger is going to take – he's going to play live for the first time today with that shoulder, I believe, against the Brewers. Where is his draft falling, or is it staying kind of where you expected it? He's been going in a 15-team round uh, – 15-team league, he's going at that one-two turn which is too early for my liking. I've got a, like a third-round grade on him. Uh, I'd say like third in the, I, I wouldn't draft him until he gets into about the 30s uh, because of that shoulder and because he was batting six last year a lot, and that hurt his counting stats some. Uh, I, you know, batting average is a little bit of a risk. You know, he, had, he could put up some monster numbers, but he could all, and, you know, the playoffs, he was great. Uh, I get it, but I, I, I'm a little down on him compared to the field. As for Arenado, uh, the track record of elite hitters leaving the Rockies and playing well elsewhere is actually pretty good. Uh, Matt Holliday actually was really good with the Cardinals. Larry Walker was really good with the Cardinals. Not just a Cardinals thing, but I just want it, – it's natural compare. But you can go all the way back to the days of like Andres Galarraga going to Atlanta or even Ellis Burks going to San Francisco. You know, the, if you're a good hitter and you, you benefit from, of course, you're not going to have as much of a drop-off as – uh, people might expect. Aaron, I was going in about the fourth round in most leagues. I think that's about right. All right, Jeff, we know that I can ask you a broad range of questions to cover strategy and this or that, but in the end, it's about my team. Uh, it's about my team <laughs> and only my team, and that's all I care about in the long run. So I, uh, I, I, would, like you, I would like you to help me solve a keeper issue. Um, so 10-team mix, standard auction. Uh, hitters tend to go for a little bit of extra money in this league, shall we say. So I'm not going to give you prices. I'm just going to give you names because the prices are fairly okay. similar. Marcus Simeon, Matt Chapman, Fran Miel Reyes, and, of course, the aforementioned Randy Rosarena. How many of those do you need to keep? I need to keep two of those players. A Rosarena, believe it or not, I know it's, I know it's a lot of – don't be – I always preach don't fall to recency bias, and here I am telling you is that's the obvious one. Um, <laughs> And I think I go Chapman. Uh, you know, yeah. obviously salary matters here. Uh, if there is a salary or, or cost yeah. around, if there's no cost uh, associated with keeping him, um, then then that changes the answer a little bit. But it's really tough. A cl- close call on the uh, ladder keeper. Chapman seems fully healthy from the hip problem that slowed him down last year. If he's going maybe two to three rounds less than he normally would, maybe even three or four rounds cheaper. Uh, I, I think there's a lot more. Uh, you know. I think there's some good long-term viability. Semi is close because he's going to add second-base eligibility. You're going to get him at eligible at two positions. That's always pretty handy, too. 
Follow him on Twitter at Jeff underscore Erickson. That's Jeff underscore Erickson. Rotowire.com. Rotowire senior editor. All your fantasy sports. But get there now for their baseball picks, especially if your draft's coming up, at Jeff underscore Erickson. Rotowire.com. Thank you, Jeff. Good to talk to you. We'll uh, talk to you soon. My pleasure. Take care, guys. Take Thank care you of yourself. Ah, oh, we got our we got our singular individual questions in. I love it. It's all about us. Come on. Yeah. It's all about it. It's course. all about us. Let's be honest. When we come back, TJ Osleberger, is he leaving? Tell you next. You know, people ask me all the time where I'm from. And um, I moved around a lot as a kid and I've coached a lot of different places, but Lubbock's the longest I ever lived somewhere, 10 years, and two of my three daughters were born here. So it was, you know, it's, it's really great to see uh, a lot of friends out there and I appreciate them coming to the game. I wish we would have played better for them, but um, you know, it, it was a little bit emotional. I'd be lying if I said anything different. Ah, former UNLV coach Chris Beard, long tenure here before the two planes from Lubbock came to take him back home. Another news now, uh, Adam Hill just wrote a story, just uh, posted a little bit ago in the Review Journal. T.J. Osleberger, UNLV's coach, has been linked to media reports at the head coaching vacancy at Iowa State. They fired Steve Prom yesterday, and many reports, either out of uh, Des Moines or national writers, are saying he has long been the heavy favorite, T.J. Osleberger, to succeed Prom. Adam, we know he was there under Hoiberg as an assistant. His wife, uh, Allison, is a was a star basketball player there. Uh, there's a lot of ties to the AD. The AD Pollard's very close to uh, Osleberger, watched when he coached at South Dakota State. Uh, surprised, not surprised, he has not done anything at UNLV, but do these other factors in your mind make it plausible that he would leave? I think it makes way too much sense for both sides, don't you, Ed? Mm-hmm. Because for TJ Otzelberger, coming off this past season, which by any measure for UNLV was disappointing, then if Desiree Reed Francois is going to apply the same test that she did to Marvin Menzies, then after this year, you basically win or you're out. And so mm-hmm. if I'm TJ Otzelberger, not only in the first place would I look at Iowa State and say I'd rather be in the Big 12 than in the Mountain West, but I would also look at it and say, I don't know how long I have here at UNLV because 25 and 26 in two years, and really you lost your best recruit coming in next year. What do you have in this conference to say I should look and feel confident at UNLV about the future. And from the Iowa State side, how could you do better than bring in a guy who spent years there as an assistant whose wife was a star? Yeah, uh, it is. It's not. And I've had coaches say this. I don't think you'd be surprised at this. Everyone ranks jobs. I've had people say it's the worst job in the Big 12. But I, you know, I'd counter that with the yeah, aspect of Big 12 with the Big 12 money, the Big 12, uh, you know, Power Five facilities and all that, I, I think you have to take it. I, I would be shocked if he was offered any to take it. And the UNLV fans out there who would wonder why, well, you got to pay attention closer to the haves and have-nots of college athletics and what that means. He does have a $3.15 million buyout should he take another job before July 1st. Adam Storing said it could be a potential sticking point for Iowa State. But again, it's a Power Five school. I think if you you know want the money, you can find it. We know what happened. We we're talking at the top of the hour about Archie Miller. Joner just stepped up and paid the $10 million on the buyout. So there are people around Power 5 programs with money. I want to ask you this. If he leaves, here we go with another coaching search, you know, national coaching search. And what, what do you do now? And it's, you know, weeks and weeks of, 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 of speculation. One way she could stop that immediately, and I want to get your thoughts on this, would be to somehow look for stability and continuity. 
and promote from within. And I'll begin with a name to tell you in terms of your opinion in Kevin Kruger. We know that Lon did great things here. I don't know how much time Lon has left at Oklahoma. People are saying just one more year. He will retire here. They didn't leave. They didn't sell the house. Give me your thoughts on Kevin Kruger as a way to have some stability and continuity and not, you know, charge ahead with one of these searches again, bring in a guy in who has to have his own players and O system, and there's two years again lost. Look, Lon Kruger was the best thing to happen to UNLV basketball in the last 20 years. Like, there's yes. no question about his influence on this program. And, of course, Kevin Kruger played here. So, you know, he knows what it's all about, both as a player and as a coach. And so, could he succeed? Yeah, I think there's every chance he could succeed. Can Desiree Reed Francois survive taking that kind of risk? I don't know. Uh, you know, we have a new president of the university. And you don't know what her standing is if this ends up being a failure of a hire if T.J. Otzenberger leaves. Because if you look at it, you say, okay, she has hired in football and in basketball. Marcus Arroyo has not shown a great amount of reason for confidence at this point. And T.J. Otzenberger regressed in year two despite the fact that he looked pretty good in year one. So you have to say that the best you can say is that the jury is still out on her hiring for the major programs in the university. That being said, I don't know who's going to take this job, right? I don't know who's going to come in and be willing to take this job. And I guess I would bounce that question back to you to say, we're almost getting to the point with UNLV basketball that we were at with UNLV football, where we've tried every flavor in the ice cream case of bring in the veteran guy, bring in the young up-and-coming guy, bring in the coordinator, and none of them seem to have revitalized the program. Well, I mean, I'll always begin the conversation with something I don't think she'd ever do, but, you know, I, it's just me and my own personal bias towards him as a coach and nothing else is I would always make the first call to Rick Patino. That's oh, probably not Oh, he did happen. it. He went there. He That's always went there. Uh, Adam, he always goes there. He went there. I always go there. I always go there. I I think it's a slam dunk. 15, I just, but they're not going to do it. Ten seconds or less of talking about uh, UNLV basketball coaches and Ed Graney will bring yes. up Rick Pitino. Absolutely. Ten well, or less. I'll tell you what. Rick Pitino would probably say yes to that job faster than he hangs out in Italian restaurants. Let's just leave it at that. Uh, I don't think she'll go there. I do think you have to, Adam, I do think you have to open it up just in case who might be interested, right? I mean, you never know. You, ne you never know who might be interested, but Kruger, people have said, you know, DeMarlo Slocum, there's guys on the staff she might look at and say, this program finally needs some continuity and not a new name uh, going forward.